It's Sunday, January 14, 2024. I'm Anthony Davis. Welcome to The Weekend Show, where we make the time to consider the news of the week. You can support my work and independent journalism at patreon.com slash five-minute news. Our guest today is a filmmaker, commentator, strategist, and national correspondent for Courier Newsroom, Alan Piper. Welcome to The Weekend Show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Alan, you um, put out a, a, a video that went viral just a, a week or so ago uh, that explained Project 2025, which is something that we have talked about here on this show for many months. And people write to me all the time and they're like, can you kind of do a deep dive on, on, on that subject? Because I think people don't quite know what it is. You know, they've taken a look at it, but it's 960 pages. And so I... I've asked you here with your the benefit of your expertise and your ability to kind of communicate on this subject to to help me try and um you know disseminate some of the the myths and and get our heads around what this really is and and for those that don't know this is a a document that anybody can download that the Heritage Foundation have created that is basically um a plan for the deconstruction of the administrative state if Donald Trump or another GOP candidate was to win the general election in November. How is it being funded? Sure. Well, just a little bit about me is I am formerly at the, in the Trump administration at the Office of Personnel Management. I was chief of staff and White House liaison. Before that, I had served with Dr. Carson at HUD, but I really am a Washington outsider. I am uh, an attorney who's practiced in New York and, um, you know, came to Washington, interested in politics, but very hard to break in. Uh, my, I came to lead this project at the Heritage Foundation because we're about bringing outsiders into Washington. This is really a plan for conservatives to be ready to hit the ground running day one, January 20th, 2025. And what we're inviting is a whole new group of Americans and inspiring them to come to Washington and serve. This is really the pathway We've lined up our what we believe in in a policy book. We are recruiting people into a database. We're training people to tell them how the federal government functions and how they should function in government. And finally, we are drafting transition plans, all with a mind to advance the conservative agenda in 2025. Uh, would you say that's a fair assessment of, of you know, how, how it all starts? Yes, uh, yes, that is, and and I would uh, I would also say I believe the AP headline was uh, I just want to actually pull it up because I thought that uh, I was very struck by the fact that it was not a, it was neither an exaggeration nor a downplaying. The AP called it uh, their headline was conservative groups draw up plan to dismantle the U.S. government and replace it with Trump's vision, and, and that really is what the plan is. Uh, They are careful to phrase it as a plan for whoever the next conservative president is. It's not specifically for Trump, but it has been drafted by Trump allies. The head of the project is a former Trump staffer, and much of it has been uh, drafted by uh, members of the last Trump administration. So it it is clearly intended for his use. And it is intended to address the the problem that uh, while while a lot happened in Trump's first term, in terms of achieving his policy goals, he was not able to do much. Uh, 
because it was not a very organized or strategic administration. And this is a plan drawn up so that uh, he can be much more effective in achieving his policy goals. And so that there will be a plan available to him, or as they say, whoever the next conservative president is on day one. Because he's not smart enough to come up with this stuff himself. I mean, this is part of the issue, isn't it? And when he makes these little videos that get put out on Truth Social, he, he's reading from a teleprompter. And, you know, there are people behind the scenes, Stephen Miller, for example, who who write the, the Hitler quotes into the speeches and Trump says it. And, you know, he, he's, a, he's a performance artist. So, you know, for him, it's all about him and it's all about how he comes over and it's all about winning. But behind that is um, a very organized machine of far-right Christian nationalists who are determined to rebuild the, the, the United States in Donald Trump's image or, or whoever else, as you say. And, and just to kind of highlight some of the, these things, you know, obviously they want to get their fingers into the judiciary, which they already have to a certain extent with the, with the Supreme Court. But the dismantling of the FBI, the, you know, you won't be allowed to identify as gay or, you know, any references to LGBTQ plus people will be, you know, become a, become a crime. And, and, and it's very likely that you also won't be able to vote as we currently do, because this is a very big part of you know, the rise of fascism is that once the fascist gets their dictatorship, they then prevent people from democratically voting them out. Well, it, this is, this is definitely a plan that is drafted with the idea that it is a way to work around uh, needing to involve uh, Congress. And that is, that's something that's very striking about this plan, because it does offer uh, legislative suggestions, but for the most part, these are administrative suggestions. And uh, this is a plan that is based on a, a version of the unitary executive theory, which is the idea that the president uh, and the executive branch uh, have more sweeping authority than they have traditionally been seen to have. And it is also uh, based very much around dismantling the civil service. Now, when when people talk about government, people of all political stripes love to rail against government and bureaucrats, and they have this image of people in gray suits and fluorescently lit hallways, and it's very bleak. But the fact of the matter is, these, these government workers that uh, conservatives like to rail against and call the deep state are two million hardworking civilian Americans all over the country. Uh, whoever you watching are, uh, if it's not you, it's surely some of your neighbors. And for the most part, these jobs aren't political jobs. Government and politics aren't always the same thing. We have scientists at scientific agencies. We have uh, we have analysts at uh, the IRS. We have doctors at the FDA, and it's very important that we staff agencies with people who are just good at doing the job. Uh, and one of the things that Trump did in uh, near the end of 2020 uh, that he never got to fully act on 
by the end of his first term, he had come to realize that uh, that if he could if he could purge the government of everyone who wasn't one of his lackeys, he could get more of what he wanted done, and he could consolidate power. So, in October of 2020. He, by executive order, uh, reclassified a uh, about 50,000 federal employees who uh, would not typically be let go by the president uh, to uh, be able to fire them and replace them with loyalists. And uh, the plan with this is to act upon that, to act upon the plan that Trump didn't get a chance to do in his first term and to start the second term that way. So all of these... All of these people who are just experts in their fields, showing up, doing their jobs. It doesn't matter who is president, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, he's looking to fire them and replace them with people who will be acting specifically on uh, the policy agenda and the vision of the next conservative president. Which extends to immigration, but also things like Social Security. So yes. if you rely on Social Security checks, you know, you 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 might not get those anymore. I mean, we're already hearing about how Republicans want to do away with Medicare and, and, and Social Security and, and also the Affordable Care Act, which, you know, they plan to remove and replace, but not replace. So the problem, though, Alan, is that we are in a situation where nobody of any political stripe really likes government diktat. You know, it's like people are always annoyed or, you know, oh, I have to pay my tax or I have to, you know, or they don't fix the roads or, you know, there is a, a natural desire to kind of moan against the authorities, parking restrictions or anything, right? And the problem is that when Donald Trump shows up and says, I'm going to do away with the, the deep state, the administrative state or the state, some people who even might be liberal in their in their thinking might be like yeah i mean maybe it's time for a change and that is my concern is that you know this is being presented in such a way that it, it is entirely necessary you know they don't present it as a christian nationalist thing they don't present it as an anti lgbtq thing you have to you have to get into the weeds of the of the paperwork to realize what this really is do you think that there is a, a danger that this could actually in terms of the vote, tap into people's frustration with the administrative state over decades? Well, it, it's it's possible. Uh, Trump is very good at playing on people's frustrations. Uh, and it's, it's striking. Uh, he's very good at playing on people's frustrations. He's not historically good at resolving the issues that have frustrated them. Uh, yeah. But uh, but he is good at at uh, mobilizing people around uh, feeling frustrated, and part of what makes it easier for conservatives to make their case, if their case is government doesn't work, all they have to do to win their case is to stop government from working, and yeah. and we see that with uh, with these uh, with these uh, near government shutdowns, we see that with the inability of congress to pass legislation and so people see people see government not working and they tend to say oh well then the people who say it doesn't work must be right rather than uh no it's it's being stopped up by those people it actually can do the things that you look to government to do uh but you are you're very right that this is 
this is not just about shrinking uh, the size of government. It is about making the government a tool for a specific ideological agenda. And it is very much a white Christian nationalist agenda. And that is fairly explicitly stated uh, in the document. Uh, Something I quoted in the video was on uh, page five of the the document. Uh, It said specifically that pornography should be outlawed. The people who produce and distribute it should be imprisoned. Educators and public librarians who purvey it should be classed as registered sex offenders. Now, even if we were talking about actual pornography, that would be an extreme statement. I I don't think most Americans would agree that that they should be locked up for uh, having or uh, uh, pornography. But as it becomes very quickly clear in the document, their their definition of pornography is not – uh, what most people think of, it is merely acknowledging the existence of LGBTQ Americans. And so we we have a situation where uh, the, form, the framers of this plan believe that some people, some Americans, are by their sheer identity uh, uh, not suitable to exist in public. And, and the plan very specifically uh, works towards uh, towards that end. Uh, on page 451, uh, which is a section about how to restructure the Department of Health and Human Services, it says, uh, quote, families comprised of a married mother, father, and their children are the foundation of a well-ordered nation and healthy society. Uh, so anyone who does not fall within that definition is by that definition specifically excluded from that. Sorry, are you that, reading from Mein Kampf there? I just want to just check the document. I am reading because from, you, you know, it's interesting. The, <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm offering page citations. That is on yeah. page 451 of the document. Uh, yeah. it, it has been interesting to see the, the video that I made. Uh, I see some trolls getting on and they say, oh yeah, well, where does it say that? It's, well, you... I, I give yeah. you a page number in the video. <laughs> right. You can go to their website, project2025.org. You can download it for yourself. Um, I was really struck that also in uh, in the section on how to restructure health and human services, it says that uh, married men and women are the ideal natural family structure. And it also goes on to say, all children have a right to be raised by the men and women who conceived them. So even straight couples who are seeking to adopt are being classed as outside yeah. of their vision. Uh, it's very much a eugenic vision. Right. Which uh, is something that Trump has been very into, this idea of the of, of you know the great replacement theory and eugenics and he's talked about people having good genes and you know none of this happens by accident does it alan it's like it's like this is the culmination of all of these not they're not even conspiracy theories these are the extreme thoughts of the people in the shadows you know who who kept their mouths shut for a while during barack obama's um tenure as president even though it completely appalled them that there was a 
black man in a white house. And yet, you know, they were there behind the scenes typing this stuff up and preparing for the for the uprising. And, and now Trump has got this kind of messiah complex going on. This This whole thing has become something that is at the very least dystopian. But as you read from those words, it is, it is Nazi propaganda of the 1930s. And I'm, I try to be very hesitant about using words like that because historically people have overused comparisons to, Agreed, to yeah. Nazis. And, and it makes – there's a danger that someone sounds hysterical just for saying that. Except when you have someone who is using the actual words, and and this this specific this specific idea of ethnic purity, the idea that that Trump is getting to when he says, and his his actual words are that that immigrants are poisoning the blood of the country. That is that is a specifically uh, that is a specific ethno national idea that is. That goes beyond uh, that goes beyond mere authoritarianism to being a defining attribute of of actual fascism, and uh, so it is. We've uh, before we started recording, you and I were talking about how I think a lot of conventional media are ill prepared for this moment, uh, and they're ill prepared for a lot of reasons because responsible journalists have deeply ingrained it in themselves not to over-exaggerate a threat, not to compare someone to Hitler, uh, but it has become so ingrained that when, that when someone is using the actual literal quotes from Hitler, uh, they tend to want to brush past it. Uh, the, the first time that, uh, that Trump in a speech referred to his opponents as vermin uh, that did not even appear on the front page of the New York Times or Washington Post the next day. It was just sort of treated as uh, another bump on the campaign trail. But it's it's really not. We have to pay attention uh, to uh, to this. Uh, and, and let's remember that, that Hitler was voted in legitimately. Yes. And this is often the way with fascists is that they 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 skulk in under the radar with a different form of presentation. And once they get elected, that's when the floodgates open. Yes. And, well, sp- well, I, was well, I don't know. Say, I'm, I'm sorry that, I interrupted you. I'm, I'm seeing that with Mike Johnson now, the, 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 the new Speaker of the House, who is a far-right Christian nationalist insurrectionist, who is having to kind of play a long game. Because I have no doubt that Project 2025 is, is, is you know, that is his dream. But he's having to kind of, you know, agree to these continuing resolutions and just play along a little because it's like the Trojan horse. You know, let's let's get them inside and then we'll do the big reveal. Well, and I think one of the things that's been frustrating about the coverage of Mike Johnson is that because Mike Johnson is mild mannered, uh, that is reported on as being moderate he does not yell the way uh the way trump does he does not make a scene uh he he looks like clark kent uh but he his positions are very extreme and so uh 
treating him as a moderate uh, or referring to him as a more moderate alternative has, has really been uh, a misrepresentation by a lot of uh, mainstream media. And, and it is the media time and time again that are, are dropping the ball on this. And, and, and why is that? I mean, maybe we should just ask ourselves quickly why with Project 2025 printed, available, they're recruiting, and I'll talk about the recruitment side in, in just a moment, but, you know, they're not hiding any of this. You can, as you said, you can download it, you can digest it, as exhausting and offensive as it is. So why is the mainstream media not really talking about it? Why is it not plastered on the front pages every single day, in your opinion? Well, I think there's a real fear on the part of the media of appearing biased. And I think that most uh, media outlets are so eager, so afraid of appearing to be biased that they do not want to report on the actual words of Trump and his allies because doing so seems like uh, the words are so extreme that uh, reporting on them seems like a smear. Seems like something they could be criticized of being biased for. Um, that's, I mean, that, that in itself is, is so sad, isn't it? Because it's not journalism. You know, journalism isn't both sides, right? Journalism is, is, is fact-finding and... and reporting on those facts and these are the facts and and this is how you know because of the removal of the fairness doctrine under reagan and the whole history of it as we know with the media roger ailes and we know the timeline but we're at a point now where the media are going to drop the ball on adolf hitler 2.0 because they don't want to appear biased and be criticized for it. I think there's a real, I think there's a real risk of that. Uh, and, and maybe on some level, there's maybe on some level, it's not even fear of how they will appear. It's, it's um, almost doubting what they're seeing. The, the, uh, a level yeah. at which, well, we can't, he can't possibly when, uh, you know, when they talk about creating mass internment camps, uh, for and rounding up uh, 18 million people was uh, yeah. what Trump at his last town hall said that he probably myself included. Actually, I mean that's the other thing to to bear in mind. You know, going after immigrants, but also after journalists that don't report on them the way they want to be reported on. It's it. I think, and I think when people see this, they think, well, he he can't actually mean that. It can't. It can't really be that. And that's why it is. That's why it's so important. It's so important to see what he's actually saying. And in the case of Project Twenty Twenty Five, to go and uh, and read the words that are there. Uh, and Project Twenty Twenty Five is very it is very explicit about what it wants to do. Uh, there are several main avenues that they're pursuing. There is a strong anti LGBTQ element throughout. Uh, very much uh, demonizing trans people. Uh, as if trans people were somehow uh, a threat uh, to the public. Uh, there is a very strong anti-immigrant uh, theme. Uh, there is a general theme to uh, to make life more expensive for working people and less expensive for wealthy people. Uh, there is an extensive uh, anti-environment 
uh, theme. Uh, the the, the uh, gutting of the EPA and yes, you know, and, and and also disbelieving in climate change, which is yes something yes. I wanted to talk about later. But I mean, you know, the U.S. is the second biggest polluter on the planet, and this new administration would want to ignore any threat of climate change. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, uh, the plans in here would not only uh, make it impossible for the administration uh, under Trump to do anything to uh, fight climate change, but would make it very difficult to uh, for any future administration to do so. Uh, they they want to uh, disband the uh, entire agency that has been monitoring climate and collecting data for over thirty years. Uh, presumably, that data would exist somewhere, but it would no longer exist within the federal government, uh, and it would not be easy to rebuild that infrastructure. Uh, but the uh, the made up crisis that is enabling a lot of this is the uh, the framing of immigration as an invasion. And what I think is one of the most striking things in this plan is the changing of immigration policy to be more of a wartime policy, uh, both in this plan and Trump publicly in his speeches, uh, have put forward the idea of deploying the U.S. military within the U.S. to conduct raids. Uh, there is a plan to uh, detain. Trump at the town hall said that the number he was going for was 18 million people, place them into mass detention camps while their fate is decided, uh, and then uh, ultimately deport them. In this effort of prioritizing a, a war against a, an imagined invasion, we have uh, the U.S. military deployed within the U.S. Local police enforcement uh, would be deputized to act as immigration enforcement. Uh, now, we already see... We already have been trying to come to terms with a problem in America of the overreach of law enforcement, and this plan would seek to let the Derek Chauvins and Joe Arpaios of the world decide that anyone that they perceived uh, to be possibly a, an undocumented immigrant would be subject to their own enforcement. Uh, Joe Arpaio attempted to in uh, in Arizona. Uh, he ran a uh, "show me your papers" uh, yeah. policy where people yeah. could be pulled over, detained simply on the suspicion of being undocumented immigrants. Uh, and of course, they don't want to frame it as being specifically a racial thing. But what? What? How is someone under suspicion of being an undocumented immigrant unless it is some visual descriptor that would yeah. enable these officers to look at a person and say, oh, I suspect that person is maybe coming from somewhere else. Yeah. And, and much of that would also lead to vigilantism as well. Yes. Because people would feel that they were on, you know, Team Trump, MAGA Republicans, and that it would be their job to police the country. And then we'll see situations like the lynching of Armwood Arbery, for example, you know, who was who was murdered on the side of the road by three, you know, white 
men who just thought that they were doing good work by picking him up you know i mean this is this is the this is the tragedy isn't it that we are we're in a situation now where you know america is at a is at a crisis point in terms of a uh, you know a junction uh, democracy versus dictatorship i i call it and i and i still think that despite us ringing the bell and and trying to sound the alarm the way that project 2025 which is just one example of this you know the the, the wider mindset of MAGA Republicans, that it, it is still very hard for people to digest that this could happen in America, the land of the free, the, the country built by slaves and immigrants, a country that has prospered and made people extremely rich, invariably white people, but, you know, this is tragically the, you know, the, the, the American story. and that this kind of winding back the clock, 50, 60, 70 years, couldn't happen here because, you know, we're already too, too progressive in many ways. How do, we, how do we deal with that? The fact that, you know, if, if it's American exceptionalism maybe that kicks in, where people are like, you know, this could never happen in America, and yet it does. I mean, you could argue that in 2016, we took for granted that Hillary Clinton would win the election. And again, you know, it could never happen in America that someone like Donald Trump could could win. And yet he did, with the help from the Russians, as we know, and with help from social media campaigns and various other things. But, you know, he did, stained the history forever, really. I mean, it'll be an entire generation or two before, you know, Trumpism can, is eradicated. How do we kind of get through to people that this is to be taken seriously? Well, I, I think we just have to keep calling attention to it. Uh, I have, I, I have great faith in Americans, and I especially have great faith in in young Americans. Uh, we had uh, record youth turnout in uh, the twenty eighteen uh, midterms record youth turnout in 2020, near record youth turnout in uh, the 2022 midterms. And uh, I do think that if I do think that if young people are really aware of the stakes, uh, I, I feel that um, I feel that the younger generations are, uh, have a healthier, more inclusive view of the world. I think that the uh, the more xenophobic elements of Trumpism uh, are are things that the younger generations want to reject fully. And so I think that if young voters show up in great numbers to specifically repudiate this white Christian nationalist agenda, uh, I think I think there's the real ability to do that. Uh, and what those of us who report on what's happening, it's just incumbent upon us to report on it accurately and, and let people know what the real stakes are. I, I would agree with you. I, I have a lot of optimism for, for the, the youth vote. But, you know, statistically, older people are the ones who've got the time to vote or they, you know, make more effort to vote or they, you know, because they've done it so many times before. 
And so, and then there's also those issues of hereditary voting where people just, you know, do what they've always done or what their parents have done. And, and, and I think that moving the needle on this is about looking outside of the US to get a sense of what is happening in the world and what the world really looks like. Because, you know, this Project 2025 document does not look like any other country that I recognize. I mean, it, it, it's more extreme even than, than Russia in, in some ways. And, you know, I don't think people, because we know people tend not to travel outside of the US and, and, and understanding other cultures and other nations and how other countries do it, is is not often a topic of conversation here. You know, it's like America is king. And for those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to have traveled or even migrated, which I recommend to everybody, <laughs> mass exodus from the, from the US, don't go to England, that's my advice. But I, I get a sense that people, because of social media and Insta Reels and, you know, TikTok and looking at other people who don't look like you, having a good time in other other countries, experiencing life and sharing their lives in other countries. That is a new thing to to, to people and to, to voters, really the, la the last few years. And m my hope is that this very insular America first attitude will be dented because people are naturally inquisitive and that they see that there is a a greater sense of, of, of a progressive nature, more integrated societies outside of the U.S. I, I, I hope so. I have, I have great faith in, in American people. I, I believe uh, I live in New York, a, a city uh, that is that in, in many ways is sort of the, uh, the epitome of the uh, American uh, multicultural uh, immigrant melting pot. Uh, our symbol is uh, Lady Liberty welcoming the tired and the poor and the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Uh, a yep. uh, a symbol that Stephen Miller, uh, one one of the architects of the Project Twenty Twenty Five plan, uh, derided uh, when he was uh, when he was in the White House. Uh, I have yeah. uh, I have I have faith that American people will reject. Uh, a a white nationalist agenda if they see that that's uh that that's what it really is and that's why yeah, I think that's, that's the point though isn't it yes. if they know that that's what it is because yes. it is not being dressed up like that you know we are reading between the lines and or in fact reading the lines of a document that is presented in a very corporate fashion and mm -hmm. people typically vote for personality over policy they don't download the policy documents they don't take the time to read it, not because they're stupid, but because they don't have the time, because mm -hmm. they're too busy working to try and make a living. Yeah. And I, I recognize that that it is for people like us to expose it. I wanted to, we need to take a quick pause for our sponsor, but I, I want to come back and, and talk about the people behind this document, who they are and what their agenda is. So thank you for the moment, but we shall return with Alan Piper here on The Weekend Show. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base? How about businesses on Shopify? When we started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from our minds. Now we're selling t-shirts and Midas Touch merch, and it's so easy, all because we use Shopify. <laughs> 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch of your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're delivering daily digests or serving sensational scoops, Shopify will help you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds and Rothneys and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success at every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash weekend. Go to shopify.com slash weekend now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash weekend. I've always found it difficult to find clothes that I like to wear. And when I find one thing that works, I just buy loads of them and just wear the same thing all the time. Well, men's closets were due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion. The commuter collection offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, zips, and polos. You'll never have to worry about what to wear when you've got the Roan commuter collection. The comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work or your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. And with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. I personally love a technical fabric, something that is advanced and uses technology to make a more comfortable and more modern outfit. Now, the commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash Anthony and use promo code Anthony to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash Anthony and use code Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. It's time to find your corner office comfort. We're back on The Weekend Show. I'm Anthony Davis. We're joined by Alan Piper from uh, Courier Newsroom. Alan, the, the Heritage Foundation is, is the organization that has published uh, Project 2025. Uh, you know, they're behind the website and the, the documents and the various aspects of it. But there's also around 40 advocacy groups that have also contributed to this, to this document that have the same thinking. And... You know, I think these are the types of organizations that exist in the shadows, right? These are lobby groups. These are think tanks. And the Heritage Foundation on their own website, they boast about the fact that they 
In 2021 alone, they had 400 meetings with congressional staff, 120 meetings with members of Congress, 47 candidate briefings, 168 working groups, uh, working group events on Capitol Hill, uh, 80 heritage alumni serving on Capitol Hill, and 30 congressional testimonies. I mean, these types of groups are are very much um, integrated into the you know the west the the um uh, the, the the bubble on Capitol Hill, and you know most of us. I mean, I've never even been to D.C. But most of us are not in that world, right? I, I I recognize that people need to kind of know that the people that are walking the halls of Congress are not just candidates that they voted for but are often the very people that are behind a document to you know eradicate the the um the state as we know it yes uh yes and we've we know we know that that Trump himself is very receptive to documents that are prepared for him by groups like this let's not forget yeah. uh that his uh one of his most far-reaching achievements as president uh, is the number of federal judges that he appointed, uh, a third right. of the Supreme Court and a, uh, a record number of, uh, of federal judges throughout the federal judiciary. And he was working off of, a, off of lists provided to him uh, by, uh, by organizations like the ones behind uh, Project 2025. He was not drawing up his own lists. And so in that yeah. same way, um, this is, we have every reason to expect that the agenda laid out in this document is something that he will uh, readily uh, seek to implement because this suits the interests that he has been campaigning on and, uh, and uh, obsessing over. Uh, since leaving office, right? Well, because they're doing the work for him, effectively. Yes. I mean, you know, because he, him making a list would would consist of a quarter pounder with cheese and a and a large fries and a, and a, and a diet and a diet coke. And so, you know, that is the extent of of his contribution, other than the performance art. But something needs to be written on the teleprompter, right? He, you know, in, in a kind of Ron Burgundy style. You know, he he needs to be given the the material to work with. Because when he's riffing, it's all just grievances, but he would never riff about policy. And so policy has to come from somewhere. And invariably, it's left to the academics and the, and the thinkers. And, you know, there are plenty of those people on the right and the far right. Um, and some of them are very eloquent. I mean, Steve Bannon is, is one of them. You know, he is a very intelligent, very eloquent man. Admittedly, he wears two shirts and three jackets and, and six pens. Um, but, you know, we shouldn't be distracted by the fact that he was the guy at the very beginning that said he wanted to cause chaos and he was the one that wanted to kind of bring down the administrative state um, working alongside Donald Trump. And even since being ousted, he uses his his podcast, his War Room podcast, to communicate with with Trump people and even with the man himself. Yes, yes. Uh, and so the uh, the the beginning pages of the document uh, list all of uh, the people involved. And it yes, really the is, contributors. Yes, it really is it's a who's a, who. It is. It's a who's who of right wing organizations. Yeah. Uh, 
the uh, the organizations involved uh, have been uh, backers of Trump, his allies. The actual authors and advisors of the of the paper include his uh, his former staffers, and uh, so this is uh, this is very much his. This is very much his circle that are uh, that are creating this for his use. And something very interesting, I thought, when I looked at that list of contributors, was they've done something very clever, which, you know, the, the, the pro-life movement has done as well by branding themselves pro-life rather than anti-abortion, for example, mm-hmm. is that they give themselves these names that would make the average Joe think that they are doing good. And I'll reel off a few. So, for example, there is the American Center for Law and Justice uh, that is listed. There is the Center for Equal Opportunity or the Center for Family and Human Rights, the Center for Immigration Studies. I mean, these types of organizations sound like they are there for the right reasons, but it's only when you dig a little deeper. And the sheer number of them as well, Alan, I mean, this is the other thing, is there is no shortage of organizations that are lobbying Congress, seeking to make life very difficult for anybody who is not white and and Christian, Christian nationalist, I should say, and cisgender, who is married to somebody of the opposite sex and has two children and, and a Labrador. Yes, it is. Uh, well, they, they've done a great job of selecting of selecting names. That is, yeah. uh, that's for sure. Um, First Liberty Institute. <laughs> I mean, using liberty and freedom has been a theme of the of the of the right, hasn't it? Yes. And yet, you would argue that uh, for those of us who've studied this document, it is anything but about freedom. In fact, it's the opposite of freedom. So, could we just talk about how the word freedom in this context has been corrupted? Well, uh, this is very much about stripping freedoms uh, from a lot of people. And something else that is that is striking is tied to that freedom idea. Uh, conservatives have uh, historically advocated for state rights, and that is, and and even even with the abortion, they've said, well, it should be left up to the states. Uh, but this plan really lays out plans to uh, to take away the rights of certain states. Uh, something that Trump has spoken about increasingly openly is his desire to overrule the state governments of states that he does not like. And in the section uh, on the Department of Justice uh, in this document, uh, it it gets into the plans of how uh, of how uh, the Justice Department, first off, uh, there's they're looking to gut fully gut uh, the Justice Department as it as it exists, um, which includes shutting down all investigations and prosecutions that are seen to be illegitimate. Uh, that they di- they did not they did not go so far as to specifically say shut down the prosecutions of Trump, but that is clearly the intention. Uh, but uh, they have. Uh, um all right around page 5 uh the department of justice section starts on page 545 and uh to me that's where some of this gets the most chilling um 
the FBI director has traditionally been a 10-year position. And that idea, the idea is that it would be longer than two terms of a president. So it would not be someone that the president hires and fires. The FBI director would not be working for the president. It was shocking when Trump fired uh, the uh, the FBI director uh, who was uh, uh, over an investigation into him. And here the plan is specifically to make the FBI director and a, pol a political appointee, make him directly answerable to the president. And then uh, on page 553, it, uh, it says that the Department of Justice should uh, should take over law enforcement in cities and states where they feel it is not being done sufficiently. Now, Trump is, I live in New York City. Uh, I know that uh, there are all over the country, uh, everyone wants to be safe. Uh, there are always concerns about crime. Crime does exist. But the, the former president has falsely said that our city is a burning hellhole. And then you walk down the street and you get shot. That's not true. But under what is being laid out on uh, page 553, uh, he's saying that the Justice Department could step in and take over. Uh, so instead of uh, he's he's saying, well, you know, Alvin Bragg's prosecuting me instead of uh, instead of prosecuting uh, murderers. So let's just replace him with uh, with my guy. Send in the FBI, send in the Department of Justice and take over New York City. Um, uh, page 553 says that prosecutors who are not conducting the type of prosecutions that the president wants should be prosecuted. So right. we're talking about someone like Alvin Bragg, someone like Bonnie Willis. Uh, Letitia would, James. Uh, Letitia James could be arrested and prosecuted uh, because uh, they're not focusing on what uh, the president wants them to be focusing on. Another rather alarming part, this is on page 562, it says that um, the Department of Justice should use the full force of federal prosecutorial resources uh, to stop state and local governments from enacting diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, policies. Now, these, this is part of... Uh, this is part of what barely constitutes a dog whistle. Their attacks on DEI, uh, as they call it, is basically the idea that there is too much diversity, that, that there should be, uh, that no government agencies should be uh, taking diversity into account when hiring. And the idea that the Justice Department could prosecute, say, a mayor, if they if they think that a mayor has too much diversity uh, on their staff, well, how how do they know how do they know the decision making choices that have been made? Ultimately, the problem is not. Uh, you know, ultimately, they're saying you can't have too much diversity. Uh, it, but it, 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 a lot of it goes back to to racism, doesn't it? You know, yes. and I've tried very hard on this show over the last couple of years to you know explore other explanations for situations in the u.s and when i get to the door and open it it always says racism in there and and this is very frustrating because again you know other countries have their problems but they don't have the the discrimination 
at anything like the level here in the US with with black people being shot by the police indiscriminately, invariably in the back while they're running away. And they're still being this, you know, despite all of the effort of the civil rights movement and everything else, there's still being this huge disparity between the 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 white man and and the black community that there there is also a piece i think it's on page i love the fact that you and i this is like we're doing like study together in in the the halls of a university on page 550 i wanted to talk about the fbi a little bit they have written in bold prohibit the fbi from engaging in general in activities related to combating the spread of so-called misinformation and disinformation by Americans who are not tied to any plausible criminal activity. So, I mean, everything that we have highlighted and continue to highlight here, it's not new. You know, this stuff happened before. This stuff has happened in, whether it be in, you know, in, in, in nations that, that have now recovered, and there are many you would say that fascists, invariably fascist dictators, the one thing they have in common is they have all fallen. So they, 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 do, not, they do not remain. The people invariably rise up against the fascists. But, but, you know, this is the playbook of typical and traditional fascism. It is not new. It is not a, a new version. It will look different and sound different in America because the man bringing the message is Donald Trump, a a former reality TV show star who prior to that was a failed businessman. So it looks different to it being, say, General Pinochet, who who did not look like a star of a a, a reality TV show. Um, Ironically, looked exactly like my grandfather, but that's another story. So I do get a sense that, that that is why people again, can't really connect with the extreme aspects of this is because the delivery is being done in a kind of quite a jovial way. Donald Trump is a clown, a performance that that is, I mean, it's addictive. And, and this is why people criticize Joe Biden, because he is not the performer. And he is older and aging differently. And But politics should be boring. And politics should be old. And it should be, you know, rooted in seriousness. Yeah, and, we, and and maybe that is the difference here. Yeah, we can't forget that in 2016, Donald Trump was, uh, it's very typical for presidential candidates to make an, an appearance on SNL. He was brought yeah. in to host SNL right. uh, for an episode because he was he was seen as an entertainer. Uh, yeah. And and so, yeah, so it is it is very dangerous when uh, when far right uh white nationalist ideas are presented under under the guise of of entertainment and and that really kind of ties into the to the american story doesn't it you know because the lack of kings and queens and the history that i'm used to coming from england and europe the the, the megastars of america are the frank sinatras Right, the 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 you know the 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 movie stars and the you know the the great performers, and and so much of popular culture here is is about these these people, and Donald Trump has very much fit into that you know that that duality between straddling politics and popular culture, and and I do think that that's why in 2016 a lot of people gave him a chance because they thought well maybe we'll see how this goes, 
But, you know, back then he wasn't expecting to win. Whereas this time around, there is an expectation that he should win because he thinks, I mean, he gave an example the other day that he was driving around Florida somewhere and, you know, wherever he went, there were Trump supporters. I mean, that was his qualitative market research for the fact that he's he's popular right now. But, you know, I, I too have faith in the American people to know that they don't want to live in a dystopian universe that is underwritten by the Nazi party. It is, uh, it is, it is very easy, I think, for people to, to block out uh, what happened in, uh, in, in, uh, in the previous administration. Yeah. Uh, it's particularly, we had the, we had, well, we had trauma after trauma after trauma. I thought that during the uh, the the stretch of family separation, uh, children being ripped away from their parents with no plan to ever reconnect them, not even the same level of of uh, of tracking that you'd have for a checked bag at an airport. Just right, no yeah. no way, no system in place to ever reconnect. I thought that was as bad as it could get. And then we had the mishandling of the pandemic, uh, where potentially hundreds of thousands of people uh, died needlessly because of the lack of any national plan and because we had a leader who was consistently telling us that the disease would go away on its own. And then we saw democracy itself come within a hair's breadth of being overturned as People stormed the Capitol, set up a, a hangman's noose, and and came with very real intentions to murder elected officials who who got in the way of what they wanted. This is so much horror in such a short period of time that in the same way that that in the same way that a lot of people I know have kind of just blocked out COVID just as a, as a thing, just blocked it out. Like just you, I'm, I'm not going to think about the fact that there was a stretch of time when I was afraid to leave my home. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to think about the fact that there were 11 freezer trucks full of an overflow of dead bodies at the hospital. Uh, you know, that was the flu or something where we've, we've moved on in the same way. I think, I think there's a, there's a real, there's a, there's a real tendency to, um, to block out, January sixth to to yeah. block out the Muslim ban to to block out everything that was to block out uh, uh, embracing uh, the Proud Boys and uh, the very fine the people at Charlottesville and, and the you know the one I reference a lot in Portland was the disappearance of of peaceful protesters by the military who were not identified. They were a, they were a, a, an arm of the military that we have never seen before. They were Donald Trump's army, and they were disappearing them not in military vehicles or police cars, but in unmarked vehicles. That that to me was a sign, along with the Lafayette Square stuff, with the Bible and the buzzing with the military helicopter of the crowd and the gassing of the crowd. That is. What I remember, the, the shops boarded up because of the National Guard being on the street and the fear of protest. 
the fear of protest from the Trump administration, incidentally. You know, they, they were terrified. They built a wall around the White House, you may remember. And that is a sign that, you know, the people have the power, ultimately. There is more of us than there are of them. But, Alan, this document does do something positive in my mind. And that is that the fact that so many people have put their name to it, so many organizations have put their name to it, are proud of it because it's very beautifully presented, very corporate fashion, nicely laid out. The website is very upscale. You know, it doesn't look like a kind of a, a QAnon deep web website or anything. You know, it's, 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 it's up there with ExxonMobil <laughs> as an example. But what it does is it, it nails people's colors to the mast. It basically is saying these organizations, these groups and these individuals who claim to be the leadership and the contributors to this document are extremists, they hate the LGBTQ plus community, they hate immigrants, they hate people who are not white or cisgender, they don't care for the administrative state to keep us safe, they don't believe in climate change, they care nothing for the FBI or the judiciary as it stands. It is, it is basically a historical, or will become a historical document, where instead of it being a kind of underground textbook and, and training manual, it's actually a moment in time where they are saying, this is who we are, and this is what we want America to look like. Yes, it is. Uh, and I hope that everyone reads it and, and takes it seriously. Uh, Okay, it, it's it's hundreds of pages. Uh, it's it's a difficult commitment uh, to ask people to read the whole thing, which is which is part of why it's important for people like us to to call attention yeah. to the to the things that are in it. But I, uh, it is. I think it is. I think you've highlighted what's good about this. I think that it is a good thing that this is out in public. That anyone can go to their site. Anyone can download this. Anyone can read it. Uh, if if. Uh, now, if if uh, if you don't think that there's going to be uh, another more uh, bans against uh, total total bans against uh, certain countries from coming here, you can go to page 152 and read that yourself. Uh, if you don't believe that they really want to slash school lunch programs, you can go to page 302 and uh, and read that for yourself. Um, so it, they have done us a great service by by putting it out publicly, and, all, and, all in one place. All in one place, and, and I would just say to to anyone who says, "Well, these are exaggerations," uh, when Trump says that he's going to um, that he's going to have his p political opponents uh, prosecuted, when he says that he's going to round up eighteen million people and put them in camps. Uh, you know, those are just exaggerations. He's not going to do those things. I, yeah. I would say when uh, when those of us who were pointing out the things he was saying in 2016 pointed them out, people said, oh, he won't do that. You know, he's, he said, we're, we're going to have a Muslim ban. And people said, well, he's he's exaggerating. He can't do that. Well, he he did. He did do that. He said uh, he said that he was going to weaponize immigration policy Uh and uh, people said, oh, well, don't he again, he's exaggerating. And we saw that he did that. 
Yeah. And, uh, and they were and in campaign state- speeches. That was before he got elected. He was making these claims in campaign speeches, you know, saying the, the American dream is dead and I alone can fix it. And, yes. and, and, w- and with that, people should have been very alarmed. But mm-hmm. there is a sense that because it's Donald Trump saying it, that it is they're just watching an extension of, of, of an entertainment program, you know, like, a, like the, the behind the scenes of The Apprentice episode type of thing. But actually, this matters. I mean, leadership is essential, especially in a country of 330 million people and in a country as diverse as the United States. And and he did. He he says that he keeps his promises and uh, he all the most extreme things that he said he would do. He attempted to do all of them and any that he fell short of. It was because he lacked the organization and discipline to actually do it right with this plan the organization and discipline has been laid out for him he will he he will do the things he says he's going to do and he will be much more effective at doing them from the experience of his first term and so anyone who doesn't want to see uh the uh, immigration policy weaponized against 18 million people. Anyone who doesn't want to see uh, the uh, uh, the FBI become his personal police force and enforce, come into cities, blue cities and states and take them over and arrest their prosecutors so that uh, blue cities can be run uh under Trump's vision, anyone who doesn't want to see that should be alarmed by the specific plans to accomplish that in this document. And the other thing we should say is that, you know, it's all very well him claiming that this is what will happen, but Americans don't go quietly. So prosecutors are not just going to be like, okay, arrest me. You know, you, you got me. Uh, They're not, they're going to fight back. Communities will fight back there will be chaos ensuing. There will be mass protests and likely violence. And it will become as chaotic as Donald Trump's previous four years, but only worse. Partly because they're also, they have a recruitment program in place as well, which is part of this project 2025.org. Oh, yes. Yeah, they're calling it the Presidential Administration Academy. They say it's a one-of-a-kind educational and skill-building program designed to prepare and equip future political appointees now to be ready on day one of the next conservative administration. This academy provides aspiring appointees with the insight, background, knowledge, and expertise in governance to immediately begin rolling back destructive policy and advancing conservative ideas in the federal government. Again, not trying to hide it trying to get people to sign up, trying to get people to come to the faculty. They'll say, they say that you'll learn from a distinguished roster of former political appointees from four previous presidential administrations. I mean, this is a very well-organized group who yes. are wanting to take the dispossessed, people who might not have a job, and be like, well, here's a job. You know, here's, here's my calling to actually, you know, in the same way that January 6th, mobsters were felt like it was their duty to do this for their for their presidents take back their country i'm sure that people will fall for this recruitment drive too 
and it is vetting people specifically on their loyalty to the right. MAGA agenda. Uh, right now, uh, if you if you want to if you want to get a job at the FDA, you should have. You know, they're they're evaluating you based on oh, are you a doctor or a medical researcher or right. a scientist? And you know, well, how you know? Let, let's let you know. Let let's look at your qualifications. But if the central qualification becomes ideological, that's that's a problem for agencies that are that should be inherently unideological. We we want we want scientists at scientific agencies. We want yeah. engineers uh, at uh, analyzing public safety, and uh, we want uh, and public transportation. We it shouldn't be uh, an ideological uh, litmus test, which is uh, which is alarming. Also, in addition to recruiting the people to work in these jobs, there's very much an effort to continue to tell groups like the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. Uh, something, uh, the the section uh, on the Department of Homeland Security is, uh, I think, one of the most, which begins on page 133, is I think one of the most alarming overall sections in the document. And part of it is actually seeks to disband the Department of Homeland Security altogether and replace it with a new border security agency. And that does several things, one of which is it makes Homeland Security specifically and only about the border, which yeah. means that uh, Homeland Security has recognized in recent years that the greatest uh, terror threat within the U.S. is domestic extremism. And by getting rid of DHS and replacing it with an agency that is focused only uh, on the border and only on external threats, uh, that means that specifically DA there is no longer uh, a an anti-terrorism agency combating domestic terrorists. This is an invitation to domestic terrorists. Also, later on in the section on the Department of Justice, it specifically gets into uh, having, yes, on page 552, it is it seeks to have uh, the FBI stop policing conservative groups. Uh, then uh, on page 558, uh, it specifically um, it specifically says that the Department of Justice should uh, stop enforcing safety zones uh, around uh, uh, places where people get abortions, so that yeah. basically they're they're giving they're they're giving the stand uh, standby sign to any domestic extremist group that wants to become the civilian paramilitary for the MAGA agenda. Well, they're offering them training as well. I mean, that's the yeah. other thing, aren't they? Which will legitimize the the vigilante or legitimize the the kind of you know the lone gunman because you know we've seen that time and time again that invariably people that choose to take the law into their own hands have been motivated to do so by right-wing media or yes. by Donald Trump directly because of fear-mongering and and claiming that you know immigration is the problem when in fact immigration is the reason that we're all here and I find it very interesting because, you know, the U.S., considering that we've just been through a three-year pandemic, 
is actually in a pretty good place. And, and Joe Biden has been one of the most effectual presidents for, 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 well, since forever, you could argue, considering what he's had to face. Um, and I think that, you know, aside from the economy doing great and job numbers looking really good and people starting to kind of feel like things are, are changing for the better, the messaging from the Democrats is is still a little elusive. And and that, you know, really the problem is that often the 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 right wing are very good at making a lot of noise, mm -hmm. making websites, doing the documents, getting people together, doing the lobbying, creating the faux outrage and the drama. And the Democrats kind of just rely on the fact that, well, everything will work itself out and, you know, the cream always rises to the top. And But actually, you know, the fight here is going to have to be much more explicit, in my view. You know, I, I fear that Democrats are kind of coming to a knife fight armed with spoons. Well, I, I think that... Um... I think that one of the main problems that progressive, uh, the Democrats and progressive messengers in general have is um, because the facts are generally on their side, they think that facts will prevail. And uh, human psychology makes us all more motivated by emotion than facts. And conservatives have generally not had the facts on their side. And I guess because they haven't had the luxury of facts, they've gotten better as well. If we don't have the facts, what we do we have? We can get people all worked up. And so they've gotten yeah. better at at managing people's uh at at managing people's emotions. And yeah. which is uh, very I, lucrative. I, Yes. Now, I certainly I'm not advocating that anyone get away from the facts. I don't I do not advocate that. I would like everything we do to be fact based, everything everybody does to be fact based. But uh, people trying to win political arguments who have the facts on their side need to know that the facts alone are not enough. You need to communicate to people on an emotional level. Uh, and and that's and that's difficult and and it is it is also you highlighted the fact that uh the president biden has had remarkable success uh successes i think in the same way the journalists are afraid to uh when when trump says something absolutely incoherent and unhinged they're afraid to comment on that for fear of appearing partisan in the same way i think Journalists feel afraid to acknowledge President Biden's successes because they feel that that would appear partisan, even though by sheer objective metrics, uh, this president has been remarkably successful. When you consider that when he was sworn into office, 3,000 Americans were dying of COVID every single day. That was a 9-11 scale mass casualty event yeah. every day. And a yeah. vaccine existed, but it was not available to almost anyone because the uh, previous president was more focused on overturning an election than coming up with a vaccine rollout policy. Uh, I, I believe it was roughly a million vaccines had been. Uh, no, he had set a goal of a million vaccines by the end of 2020 and came nowhere near it. 
at the pace of vaccinated uh, vaccination that was happening uh, at the end of Trump's term, it would have taken uh, over a decade for uh, the vaccine to be widely available to Americans. But w- within a matter of months, because President Biden invoked the Defense Production Act, uh, he set up mass vaccination centers. Uh, within months, every American who wanted a vaccine was able to get one. And it's only because of that that people were able to go back to jobs and go back to restaurants and start living and the economy started yeah. moving. If if he had accomplished nothing other than that, that would have been a, a historic accomplishment. But then on top of that, you have uh, 14 million jobs uh, created in, in his first term, more than under any president's single term. Uh, and and uh, some people say, oh, well, those are just the pandemic recession jobs coming back. No, it, it's more jobs than had been lost uh, have have been created. Uh, we are seeing rising wages. We are seeing a greater uh, pro-labor activity from an administration than we have seen maybe maybe since Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know. Uh, we're we're seeing antitrust enforcement, which had really uh, gone by the wayside for the uh, last several decades. Uh, so obviously, it's not a perfect administration. None are, and journalists should uh, highlight uh, and and point out the mistakes. But but they should also point out these objective successes. Yeah. The, the fundamental difference between the conservative or MAGA Republican thinking and, and, and the Democrats and progressive thought is this difference of opinion on regulation. I just want to kind of finish with this because, it, you know, of how, how important it is. The, the, the Republicans claim that, you know, everything should be deregulated. Let the market be free, just, you know, deregulate it, let it all work, it'll all work itself out. And they claim that Democrats have like the opposing view that everything should be locked down and regulated. And that simply isn't true. Because, you know, we live in a capitalist country and capitalist society, and no one plans on rolling that back. It's too far gone anyway. But if you deregulate, say, the Environmental Protection Agency, for example, and, and your water supply gets poisoned, which is something that Donald Trump, was, you know, very much did. You know, he, the, the, the amount of deregulation of the EPA during his presidency was unprecedented and so dangerous. Even withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord. I mean, he did that straight away. The Iran nuclear deal. He didn't read these things before he pulled away from them. But he just wanted to undo anything that Barack Obama had done. So... I think it's just important to remind people that regulation is important for maintaining a civil and safe society. And and I think sometimes a lot of that gets lost in translation. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, it, uh, you get into uh, around page 363 in the document when you get into the Department of Energy, uh, the plan is to... Uh, reduce nuclear power regulations, and privatize nuclear waste disposal. Now, right. when, when, when you privatize something, when private for-profit companies are in charge of something, 
their main concern is going to be what's profitable. And you, there are some things that are more important than, than profit. Uh, I certainly don't think that uh, when you're dealing with nuclear waste, that the goal should be, well, what's the cheapest solution? Or, or when you're dealing, we saw I, the tragedy, the tragedy uh, of Flint, Michigan, which which is going yeah. to be, which is going to afflict an entire generation for all their lives, is that we saw what happens if we leave the the safety of our water, our what the most basic resource that all humans need. What if what if we just make the criterion for that? What is the cheapest solution, not what is the safest? most secure solution uh it's it the the impacts are catastrophic and, and it will reduce america to a kind of third world nation in terms of basic needs healthcare, housing water supply just the things that we need because there is a bigger crisis coming down the road aside from another pandemic which is inevitable but that is the climate crisis mass migration and the fact that the planet is getting warmer and that the weather systems are changing to the point that now we have extreme weather. I mean, the tornadoes in Florida just this last week were, were you know, unprecedented. And yet, you know, I've seen these kind of newscasters reporting on these stories, standing in the middle of these crazy weather systems and not mentioning climate change because they're, you know, the bosses at their media organizations, they don't care for it. It doesn't sell well. It's not, you know, it's not good for business. I mean, that is also going to be the next big problem. Once we've dealt with the short-term fascism issue and this, and this playbook, we then have to deal with the fact that the U.S. has completely dropped the ball when it comes to preparing for the climate crisis. Absolutely. And, and this plan would this this plan would not only prevent progress from being made on climate during the next administration but if if it were possible to have an administration that is the opposite afterwards and if donald trump is reelected i i i think it is legitimately uh in question whether there would be the opportunity uh 4 years later to elect a different type of leader. But even if it were, the changes made in this plan would make it so difficult for any future administration to, uh, to, to fix what had been done. Uh, if, you ch if you get rid of all the climate scientists at the EPA, uh, it, it's not like you can just have them back in a moment. If you get rid yeah. of the infrastructure of the science uh, that we have been using to try to uh, to uh, study climate, uh, you can't just have that back uh, in a moment. And um, the they're seeking to take away all of the clean energy investments that uh, have been made in the Inflation Reduction Act uh, on uh, in their section at the Department of Energy, which starts around page uh, three sixty three. Uh, they want to take away the EPA's ability to regulate greenhouse gases. They want to assert federal authority over states to prevent states from uh, Im 
imposing their own guidelines. This this is specifically aimed at California, which is seeking to have uh, to set its own uh, carbon emission standards. Uh, this this next administration, uh, a, a Trump second administration, would step in the way of that. So much for state rights, and uh, they are. Uh, are looking to get rid of NOAA, the agency that studies climate, fire all those scientists, um, and heavily invest in drilling and subsidizing fossil fuel industries. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very oil-rich, this this whole playbook. I should just say finally that, you know, this plan... It's not something like over four or eight years. This has a has a kind of 180-day attachment to it. They say the time is short and conservatives need a plan. The project will create a playbook of actions to be taken in the first 180 days of the new administration to bring quick relief to the Americans suffering from the left's devastating policies. I mean, there it is in, in black and white, the uh, Project 2025. We encourage everybody to look at it, project2025.org, and to recognize that, you know, this is, as was predicted, you know, when fascism comes to America, it'll be wrapped in the flag and carrying a cross. Alan Piper, thank you very much for joining us and helping us to expose and explain the, the details of Project 2025. Well, thank you so much for having me, and and thank you for helping call attention to this. My thanks to Alan Piper, and I would very much like for you to visit and support me and independent journalism at patreon.com slash 5-Minute News. You can download and subscribe to the 5-Minute News podcast and also my series Explained. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and more factual news to discuss on the 5-Minute News Weekend Show with Midas Touch. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.